Welcome to The Chain, the podcast exploring the lives, careers, research, and discoveries of protein engineers, scientists, and biotech professionals. We look at the impact their work is having on the field and where the industry is headed. Tune in to stay up to date on the newest advancements and to hear the stories that are impacting the world of biologics. All right. Hello, everyone. Uh, Welcome to this podcast. My name is Brandon Dikoski. I'm an assistant professor at MIT. I work in antibodies. And I'm here with Andrew Ward from Scripps. Hi, Andrew. Hey, Brandon. How's it going? Going well. Going well. Uh, Great to have you here. And um, I know you're going to be giving a couple of talks at a a couple of different conferences. And uh, yeah, exciting to just get a chance to chat with you about all the things you've been working on lately. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I know the, you're, you're, you've got one talk that's coming up at uh, Discovery on Target uh, this month here in Boston, and then another one coming up in January in San Diego at uh, Pep Talk. Um, maybe just tell us a little bit about the general topics that you're going to be going over there. So in both uh, cases, I'm going to be talking about how we're using our CryoEM structural biology pipeline to discover uh, monoclonal antibodies against specific epitopes uh, that are against pathogens, membrane proteins, and and really any other protein target uh, that that one would have in mind. So we can use this this pipeline to to get very focused and specific antibody responses and, and it's really been um, one of these technologies that's transform, transformed the way we and, and other people are, are thinking about making antibodies nowadays. Phenomenal, phenomenal. So um, before we get into all the details, um, maybe could you share with us, uh, you know, a little bit about your background, uh, you know, where your training was and, and um, kind of where you, where you first got started in science? Sure. So I did my undergraduate at Duke University uh, and ended up taking a work-study job in a lab that, that studied muscle physiology. Uh, and I went from sort of washing dishes and, and doing uh, buffer prep to becoming increasingly interested in, in what they're working on. And in particular, they were using imaging, uh, in fact, electron microscopy, to look at how indirect flight muscle in insects um, caused flight or, or, or was the mechanism behind flight. So we, we imaged these beautiful cross-sections of, of flight muscle and saw actomyosin uh, and all these cross bridges, and we could look at the contractile mechanisms. And it was really one of those eye-opening moments early in my uh, undergraduate career where I really became engaged with, with the process of research and the discovery aspects. Uh, and that kind of just sent me uh, down that path, ended up uh, going to Scripps Research as a technician uh, from Duke, uh, this time working with Ron Milligan in, in the early days, very early days of CryoEM, uh, and, and really you know part of the technology development and, and part of that early potential. Uh, and then that kind of just naturally bled into a career in structural biology, biophysics, uh, until I started my own lab in 2010. And then looking for something new to do, uh, antibodies and vaccines 
captured my attention uh, and haven't looked back since. Wow. That's amazing. That's amazing. And um, yeah, so so at, at what point when you started, um, at, at what point in scripts did you start moving over into antibodies and vaccines? When I first started the lab, I'd been doing work in membrane protein transporters and ion channels, sort of the classic structure function, um, which was you know, really cutting edge at the time in terms of, of membrane protein structures and what you could do. Uh, but then I I was contacted by Ian Wilson, uh, who, uh, of course, everybody knows from from his work in influenza and, and many other um, immunological and virology structures. And he asked if I could use EM to figure out why he couldn't crystallize something. And it was an antibody antigen complex. Uh, and it was real easy to see in the microscope that that the complex that he was trying to crystallize was flexible. And that was sort of an aha moment in terms of one, what you could resolve using single particle EM, and also realizing that FABs, you know, the one arm of an antibody, uh, were readily identifiable in in the microscope. And and those were the days when you know we didn't have the resolution, and you needed these fiducial type uh, features in order to identify domains of a protein uh, or, or other areas that you were interested in. So antibodies or fabs in particular became tools for EM, uh, and that sort of just naturally bled into an interest in in immunology and vaccines. And it's something that I I avoided through throughout my graduate training, uh, but became fascinated and and it was really a, an opportunity to learn something new. And and that's kind of the wonder of of being in academia is you can kind of follow your nose and and do what engages you. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. That's amazing. So what, what is your uh, current environment like uh, at, at Scripps and with your lab? You know, who, who are you working with most often and, and, and what, what, what's kind of the day-to-day like for you? Yeah, so my lab fluctuates between 35 and about 40 people. Uh, and we have lots of different franchises uh, in terms of, of vaccine and virology and and using our structure biology platform to investigate um, these different pathogens and, and ways to intervene. And a lot of that is, is the greater environment at Scripps, working with folks like Dennis Burton, Bill Sheaf, Ian Wilson, others uh, that, that bring their own expertise uh, to really tackle big and complicated problems. And so influenza and, and HIV were a big part uh, of what we did in terms of the technology development. Uh, basically because we had to, in order to, to move faster uh, and dig deeper. And so my lab is, is really a reflection of the greater environment. It scripts a, a large collaborative network uh, of internationals, uh, and then really a fantastic pipeline of students and postdocs and staff that that oftentimes bring to me a, a new project or virus to work on, and, and I say go. That's wonderful, that's wonderful. And, and, you know, cryo-EM has just been really exploding over the last few years, um, you know, through so many efforts and, 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 you know, efforts from your group and, and, and your teams, especially. Um, when would you say, like, it, you know, from, from your perspective, when would you say that inflection point really happened where, you know, cryo-EM just you started to get so much more and, and, and what happened 
what, what was it that, that kicked that off? Right. So as, as I mentioned in my training, I was really fortunate to be working in EM early days and then working on CryoEM in the early 2000s with Ron Milligan. And it was a very small field. Uh, and it was sort of the, the outcast of structural biology because uh, everyone was known as a blobologist and, and looking at low resolution information. But clearly the potential was there and, and there was a strong core group of believers that, that kept working on technology development. And then in about 2011, uh, direct detector cameras came online and, and these were really the, the transformative technology that, that we'd been waiting for. Uh, the ability to detect single, uh, singly scattered electrons, which led to, to resolution improvement, the ability to collect movies, just like on your live imaging on your iPhone, uh, where you can sort of de-blur motions that happen even at, at an atomic level. Mm-hmm. And Scripps was one of the first places to invest in this technology. Uh, again, because we had the, the foresight to see that that this was going to be transformative. And then in 2013, my group solved the first structure of HIV envelope like a protein using cryoEM. And that was a target that was 30 years old in structural biology. Mm-hmm. And that really was a watershed moment of, of this technology can be applied to highly glycosylated, flexible, complicated systems. Uh, and then, you know, in about 2015, 16, uh, that these direct detectors became more broadly available. And now, uh, you know, just about every major university and research institute has a cryoEM equipped with one of these direct detectors and solving structures, you know, in the matter of hours uh, rather than the months and months it took uh, in the early days. Yeah. That's amazing. And, and, um, you know, my group works a lot in uh, next generation DNA sequencing. And similarly, you know, around the same time, you know, the the late 2000s, that was when a lot of the NGS technologies really exploded. And a lot of them were launched by similar advances in like digital camera technologies. Uh, So, you know, like Illumina sequencing takes a picture every frame. And um, it's kind of a cool parallel that that, that similar, you know, uh, detection, camera, camera detection and things like that um, was was just launching us in the NGS world, too, around the same time. Yeah, absolutely. And, and being in, in that space in terms of vaccines, uh, you know, I got to watch that uh, as well. And and it, it is remarkable what we can do now and, and the level of detail and content that can be generated in, in mere hours uh, compared to just, you know, 10 years ago even is, is really transformed, you know, the questions we can ask and, and, and the problems we attempt to tackle. Yeah. Yeah. So certainly, certainly a lot of fun. Um, so w- what kind of things are you working on with your group now? So we're, you know, really trying to, to professionalize a lot of our structural biology pipelines, as I mentioned we have programs that active in HIV, influenza, coronavirus, Ebola, Lassa, malaria, uh, among others, including some bacterial pathogens. And it's really getting the technology uh, nailed and, and the throughput through automation of, of this pipeline, uh, everything from the imaging aspects down to the the data processing and into some level of the interpretation. We're also actively integrating a lot of the uh, structure prediction uh, advances in terms of, of AlphaFold and and other programs 
that allow you to predict structures, uh, which which is a, a free way to, to solve structures, but ultimately you have to compare them to experimental structures. Uh, and then we're doing a lot of tool development to accelerate the back end of, of analyzing vaccine responses, uh, which is you know historically a bit slow and and oftentimes uh, you you're analyzing responses months and months after a prime or immunization. Uh, and now we're trying to to reduce that down to looking at at what happens days after an immunization or weeks. Uh, and then use that as a way to forecast so we don't need to do those months and months of experiments to iterate on the vaccine design process. Wow. Wow. Oh, that, sound, that sounds amazing. So so um, you mentioned uh, when we were talking just before uh, this podcast that, that actually you, you just had a couple of new posts on BioArchive and malaria. Um, could you share a little bit about, about those and what's going on with the, those new uh, studies? Sure. So malaria is an interesting target, uh, first and foremost, because there's a partially protective vaccine uh, known as RTSS. Uh, and, and so that gives you hope that, that, that a malaria vaccine is within reach, uh, but it does need to be improved. So it's not durable. It doesn't last through several rainy seasons, which is really what you need to reduce the parasite burden and, and ultimately malaria. Uh, so we had an opportunity to to work um, with uh, different groups that that had done work in this area, and really apply our structural biology pipeline to, you know, provide a, a deep structural molecular understanding of how the partially protective antibody response, uh, how that looked, and then opportunities for improvement. So really, we're looking at everything from best in class monoclonal antibodies to uh you know not so good antibodies understanding how they structurally engage mm -hmm. uh this this long flexible repeat peptide on the surface of sporozoites yeah. uh and and ultimately uh, dismantle its ability to infect and then by understanding the structures we can design new next generation vaccines that bias the immune response towards the the structural uh, phenotypes that are desirable yeah. and even more deeply uh you know we're we're working with a set of a really well-known set of of germline genes uh that we know can induce a uh, protective response so we can try to encode and engage uh, those type of, of precursor antibodies more effectively and really taking vaccine design to its ultimate, uh, where it's a programmed immunity, uh, that's very rational. Yeah. Amazing. So, so, um, you know, malaria has a bunch, a lot of different stages. Uh, what is it about the sporozoites that, that makes you, uh, most, or, or, or makes you, uh, keenly interested in that stage and, what does a, a, a protective antibody versus a non-protective antibody look like against a malaria sporozoite? Yeah, that, that's a good question. So, I mean, ultimately, I think, you know, working on a vaccine that, that that's a multi-component vaccine that targets different um, parts of the life cycle is, is where uh, I think the ultimate vaccine lies, right? Mm -hmm. So having some redundant and, and backup we are particularly interested in 
the sporozoi targeting vaccines uh, because in theory they should provide sterilizing immunity uh, against against infection uh, right they, they provide the barrier protection and prevent things from getting into the liver and once things get into the liver as you know uh, it, it's a much more difficult target uh, in, in the sporozoite changes and, and life cycle changes. Yeah. So by getting that sterilizing immunity, you prevent infections entirely rather than, um, you know, treating them and trying to catch up. You kind of get ahead of the pathogen in that way. Yeah, exactly. And there's less opportunity, of course, for escape, right? For anything that, that's sterilizing immunity, you you don't have replication and potentially diversification of the antigens that that those antibodies target in the vaccine. Mm-hmm. Totally. Um, but like I said, I think, you know, targeting multiple uh, parts of the life cycle is is definitely uh, worthwhile. We just happen to, to be focused on on this. And for us, it's an interesting structural biology program because we typically work on large globular well-folded proteins, the surface antigen for uh, the sporozoite is a long flexible repeat peptide mm-hmm. and encoded in that are epitopes uh, that require uh, B cells and, and antibodies to do pretty remarkable uh, things uh, like make homotypic interactions or evolve interactions between the antibodies that allow them to pack really tightly uh, on this extended repeat peptide on a densely clustered surface of the sporozoite. So it's a it's an interesting structure biology challenge that's quite amenable to cryoEM and what we do. And what we're we're doing is really visualizing and creating a, a library of phenotypes, of visual phenotypes of what a protective response looks like versus an unprotective response at both a monoclonal level and then oligoclonal, polyclonal level. Yeah. And so so you mentioned homotypic interactions, and, and that's actually where antibodies are evolving, not just to recognize the, the pathogen, but also to recognize each other. And so they kind of uh, make contacts with each other on the surface. Um, are you familiar with other applications where homotypic interactions have been seen? Um, you know, how common are they? Uh, and uh, is that something that, that we're trying to induce with a vaccine approach? So that's a good question. It's a relatively new concept. And I think, again, because of the way we are able to generate antibodies and, and study them structurally, uh, do we have a, the opportunity to, to uncover these type of phenotypes? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think that we're going to find them all over the place, particularly for um, antigens that, that have repeats or highly clustered uh, it's it makes sense, right? From a space packing perspective, if you're going to pack tightly, you need complementary surfaces. Uh, on the other hand, you know you could make an argument that it might be a bad thing because you know antibodies that recognize self uh, could be problematic. But the good antibodies induced by RTSS, for example, don't interact with with one another unless the antigen is present. Mm-hmm. So it seems like it needs that balance and, and immunologically, uh, any autoantibodies are being selected against. Mm-hmm. So I think that there's, there is that fine line, uh, but defining that and defining best in class gives us an opportunity to design vaccines that, that at least shift the balance 
in favor of developing those responses versus the the much more varied and and random responses that that we often see with with vaccines. Yeah. How long until we see uh, not just homotyp not just more homotypic interactions, but also like maybe even heterotypic interactions where antibodies are evolving to accommodate and recognize other antibodies from the same person against a pathogen. What do you think? I would say we're right on the doorstep of that. Uh, absolutely. And I think that the immune system is a pretty remarkable um, system. And especially when you think about how antibody responses evolve and how you develop circulating antibodies. And then if you're re-exposed to an antigen that forms immune complexes, those immune complexes are then seen by B cells. And so you have very much the potential uh, to develop those types of interactions as well. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's just, it's just wild. And I think as, as all these tools uh, are, are coming together and giving us even better and better resolution, um, it's inevitable. We're going to be seeing more and more uh, surprising stuff like that. So um, yeah, really, really excited to see what we, what we keep finding over the next few years. Um, when, when you're looking at a vaccine response or an immune response, you know, technically, how can we tell whether we are getting the right responses? Good question. That's, that's really what we're digging for is, is understanding these correlates that are predictive of efficacy, mm -hmm. right? So a lot of vaccinology and, and testing of vaccines, uh, were historically at least has required efficacy. Um, so you vaccinate, you wait, then you challenge, uh, an animal or, or a human in an endemic setting where they're exposed. And then you look for rates of infection versus protection. Um, that's a, a long timeline, both preclinically and clinically. Uh, but the more we understand about what defines a protective response, and that's at the genetic immunogenetic level, as well as the structural level, we can predict much earlier whether we're on path or not on path uh, to get there. And so in, you know, in addition to a lot of the classic serology, ELISA, neutralization, and, and other things that can be done uh, we're really converging on on molecularly defined correlates uh, that we can use as predictors for future success. Mm -hmm. Are you guys able to uh, use electron microscopy to analyze any of those correlates? Um, you know, almost like you know, rather than a protective ELISA, can you can you figure that out from cryo EM? That is a great question, and that is really exploded in my lab over the, the, the past few years. So we developed in, in 2018 a technology known as electron microscopy polyclonal epitope mapping with a colleague of mine, Lars Hangartner at Scripps. Mm -hmm. And and where we typically would solve structures of monoclonal antibodies with, with an antigen, here we shortcut the whole process. We take serum and we mix that with our antigen of interest, usually the, the subunit vaccine or, or another antigen. And then we image by electron microscopy. We do our single particle data processing. So you can image single immune complexes, and then you can computationally sort those out. And we're able to look at all the on and off target responses in a single experiment. So it's as sort of quick and easy as doing an ELISA, but 
now we're uncovering all of the epitopes that are targeted within the sera and mm-hmm. so a lot of the work we're doing is imaging experimental uh vaccines that are that are in animals or, or even humans and we're able to tell very early on what the percentage of on target versus off target are that information is immediately useful for re-engineering resurfacing the antigen to shift that immune response towards the more favorable phenotype. Mm-hmm. And so this is really uh, where we spend a lot of our effort now uh, because it's a, it's a multiplexed structural biology uh, that doesn't require conventional antibody isolation, expression, so on and so forth. Uh, and it, it's, it's where I think a lot of the, there's a lot of interest in, in HIV and, and other um, vaccine design efforts to really build this capacity and provide a visual ELISA that complements all the, the classical serology. Totally, totally. Uh, and when you're looking at antibodies against a particular epitope, um, you know, take SARS-CoV-2, for example, uh, you know, there's the ACE2 binding site, uh, the, the RBD domain, um, you know, not, not every antibody that binds there is necessarily a potent neutralizer, a potent protector. Is there a way that you can kind of see what the most potent antibodies are using MPEM? Um, you know, can you get an idea of, of whether they'll truly be protective uh, correlates, things like that? Yeah, th- that's, that's part of the technology development we're doing right now. Uh, we have ways to enrich for and and actually embedded in in the process itself are, are ways to enrich for higher affinity antibodies uh, that naturally are going to more be more potent. We can also use different probes. So, for example, for variants, we can probe sera with an omicron variant, for example, uh, and only isolate the antibodies that that cross react uh, and therefore would be predictive of of having some breadth um, of protection. And so it's really all in the design of of how we multiplex our antigens and our immune sera. And then we can computationally, as I said, sort out all of these different immune complexes and hone in on on the most relevant ones. So, of course, having some knowledge that that the receptor binding site, for example, or or really other epitopes on the RBD or elsewhere are the topics of interest. We zoom right into that structurally uh, and then we we really focus on the the ones that that we know uh, should give or, or should provide either you know really potent and effective or broad responses. Awesome, awesome. In in addition to affinity, can is there a way to look at like you know the angle or the mode of recognition and things like that too that gives prediction of of uh, those kind of performance and and things like that. Absolutely. Uh, and so we're, we're basically building these visual structural libraries uh, of monoclonal antibodies and polyclonal antibodies to, you know, eventually use it to train machine learning and, and AI type approaches. But for now, we can do some inference based analysis uh, that, that can be quite predictive of what makes a good or bad antibody. Uh, and then, you know, the next level of that is is we're taking that to atomic resolution mm-hmm. where we're able to 
sequence the antibodies directly from structure. So if we saw the high enough resolution structure from a serum antibody or polyclonal antibodies, wow. uh, that information is enough that we can build in amino acid side chains, essentially predict that monoclonal antibody. We sequence it, we send it out, we we synthesize it, and then we, you know, of course, validate it on the back end. And that's the ultimate iteration of this technology. And what I'll be highlighting uh, in a couple of my talks is that, you know, any antigen you might be interested in, you can immunize an animal uh, and you can zoom right into the epitope of interest, the area of interest, really the most functional domain. So whether it's the receptor binding domain of a, a viral, like a protein or, you know, the ion channel, uh, the, the, you know, conduction pathway of an ion channel, so on and so forth, you can really select for and enrich instead of doing, you know, a, the more classical approach, which is you generate lots and lots of monoclonal antibodies and you kind of have to filter them out uh, in terms of where they might target. Amazing. Amazing. Well, uh, yeah, really excited to uh, check out uh, those talks um, in, in here in Boston and again in, in San Diego in January. Um, so, you know, when when you're not when you're not designing vaccines and, and uh, looking at looking at very small and very cold things. Um, what, what are you, uh, I, I, sorry, my, um, some calendar reminder just went off, so I'll start that again. Okay. Um, so, uh, when you're, sorry, sorry, restarting once more. So outside of the lab, when you're, uh, not looking at, uh, very small, very cold things, uh, what, what are you up to when you're not, when you're not designing vaccines and discovering antibodies? Living in San Diego, I, of course, uh, enjoy being outside all the time, uh, in particular, uh, getting in the ocean and paddle boarding or surfing and uh, just trying to disconnect uh, from phones and computers. And uh, water is a, a really incredibly effective way to do that. Awesome. Absolutely. Yeah, you're, uh, you're not checking email when you're out on the surfboard, I'm sure. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Yeah, where where's the where are the the best surf spots? Where should we find you? Well, I would I would of course not tell you where the best surf spots are, but <laughs> I can be found uh, up and down the coast in San Diego, and and actually honestly, it all depends on the swell direction, the tide, the wind, and and lots of other factors. So I'm still uh, trying to learn all the subtleties. But, but I do have my go-to spots uh, that are local, not too far away, uh, and, and that aren't too crowded. Uh, but I do also enjoy hitting the surf uh, wherever I travel. Uh, I make it a point and uh, heading to Mexico in a couple weeks for my friend's 50th birthday wow. and Costa Rica next spring. So uh, I do enjoy the, the warm water uh, when I can get it. Amazing. Amazing. Well, all right. Thank you so much, Andrew, for taking the time. Um, look forward to catching you uh, in Boston or in San Diego. And um, yeah, really excited about all the work you're doing. Thanks again. Yeah, cool. Great, great talking to you. All right. See you, everyone. All right. Take it easy. If you would like to attend any of CHI's upcoming protein engineering conferences, use the discount code THECHAINPODCAST, all one word, to save 10% off your event registration.